0: Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Newman, and thanks so much for checking out our first Friday show, where we're going to highlight Anonymous, of course our first financial health assessments volunteered by all of you in the community. A couple of weeks ago, I called for submissions for financial data from the community who wanted free on-air insights from a financial professional, well, professionals. I have Casey Cress, my partner from my fee-only financial planning practice, Physician Wealth Services, on with me to discuss the information that we received. And I'll be honest, we didn't realize how incredible the turnout would be for responses. We got so many great responses. And honestly, we can't wait to go through them for you guys. If you'd like to be featured on the show, please go to financialresidency.com form. Follow the instructions by filling out the form and leaving us a voicemail. We'd love to have you be part of the show. When you listen, please remember this extremely important disclaimer. While we try our hardest to respond with as much information as we possibly can, there's a chance that we might have missed something or failed to address something that would be critical to your financial success. And even more important, the information discussed by Casey and I should be taken generically. This doesn't replace getting real financial advice or a real in-depth financial plan from a fee-only professional, where we only get to see a snapshot of the information. So please think of this as entertainment purposes only, not real financial advice to your situation. If you have specific questions regarding anything we've discussed on the show, reach out to me directly at ryan at financialresidency.com or book a free introductory call with us at physicianwealthservices.com. Now, with all that legal mumbo jumbo out of the way, let's get started with our first financial health assessment with our new friends, Ken and Regina. This is the recording
1: for Ken Adams and Regina Falangi. Ken is a physician assistant and Regina is an OBGYN resident physician. Ken and Regina are both 28 years of age. They are married with no children. We are currently renting in a large city while Regina is in residency. We are in a two bedroom, two bath house with our small dog. We eventually plan on purchasing a home in the future after Regina finishes residency. Our type five goals, including being net positive, Regina looks forward to the day when she does not have debt, Number two is purchasing a home. Number three, starting a family. Number four, being financially stable with a good retirement plan set up. And number five is having long-term financial security, not having to worry about living paycheck to paycheck. Our annual income is Ken making around $120,000 annually and Regina making around $56,500 annually, both of these before taxes. A breakdown of our expenses monthly include rent being $2,600 monthly, Car insurance being $260 monthly, Kin's car payment, which is $630 monthly, Regina's car payment, which is $420 monthly, however, we are trying to sell this vehicle currently, internet and electric bills, which are around $50 apiece monthly, gas, which is around $70 per month, credit card bills, which are around $2,000 monthly, Regina's student loan, which is around $540 monthly, Kin's student loan, which is around $110 monthly, and entertainment, which is around $30 monthly. Flexible expenses include Amazon, online purchases, and food primarily. However, a lot of these purchases are made with credit cards as well. We currently save around $600 to $800 per month. Ken's investments are currently in a Roth IRA, which has $14,532.15, invested in AmeriFunds, with 50% of this being in the 2050 target retirement date, and the other 50% being in the 2055 target retirement date. Ken is contributing $5,500 yearly into the Roth and a pre-tax contribution of 3.5%, which together this equals around 10.37% of each total paycheck. Regina has a 401k, which she has through her work, and it has $1,600 in it currently, and she is contributing what gets matched by her employer. Regarding our banks, we currently have a joint checking and two savings accounts. We have our major savings account associated with a financial institution that is different from our day-to-day working checking and savings account. We avoid removing money from either savings account unless we absolutely have to. Our quote-unquote working savings and checking accounts are at our credit union that allows us to move money into our savings from our monthly pay as we can. Our checking account is used primarily for monthly bills and intermittent day-to-day spending. However, mostly that intermittent day to day spending is done on credit cards. Regarding our student loans, Ken has a Stafford loan, which is through the United States Department of Education. Balance on this is currently $8,069.79. Sixteen and a half of those dollars are interest, and this loan has a 3.4 fixed percentage interest. Ken has no student loans for his physician assistant schooling. Regina has student loans that are about $320,000 in sum and she is on a repayee at 6.13% interest. We are indeed planning on doing PSLF. Regarding other debts, we pay our credit cards and monthly bills as they come in each month. Ken does have a balance of $19,121.35 on his car payment, which he is making monthly payments till October of 2021, and this loan has a 0% APR interest rate throughout the entirety of the loan. And as mentioned above, we are trying to sell Regina's car as well, which we currently have a loan on that too. We do not have umbrella insurance. Regarding our insurance, Ken has a universal life policy purchased by a relative, which pays out $50,000, and the cost for this is zero for us. He also has a group term life and AD&D through work, which is one times his base salary while he is employed. Regina has basic life insurance, which is one time her base salary disability, which is 60% STD, and 50% long-term disability, all covered by her work. We file our taxes married and filing jointly. We do not have any estate planning documents.
0: All right, Casey, we've got Ken and Regina's story. Thank you, Ken, for kind of telling us what's going on. Casey, if Ken and Regina walked into the office today, what would we tackle first? What would we like to ask them?
2: Ken and Regina have sort of the classic red flags of insurance they have a universal life policy which we're not big fans of so I think that that's kind of one of the first things that I would want to talk to them about see how that got purchased looks like maybe a relative helped them that's usually how we end up with those types of investment products a friend or family member helped us out with getting those pieces together so yeah helped us in quotes (laughs) exactly did us a really big favor. So yeah, just understanding what their true insurance needs would be to get them to the right type of coverage. And that would be the same with the disability piece as well for Regina. That's really important for her to get while she's in training. It doesn't look like she's taken care of those pieces for themselves yet. So it's a good time to do that.
0: Yeah, the cost can't be zero on this universal life policy. So it's likely that you're eating up the cash value or that the investments might be paying off enough for the premium right now. But as the markets move, That will likely not be the case, or you're just going to eat up all the cash value. So I would definitely take a deeper look into what you're doing there and how that's really being paid because you're likely just eating up the cash value. And then Regina, yeah, definitely long-term disability, super, super important for female physicians, especially while you're in training. It might sound like a sales pitch from the insurance agents that they just want to make a quick buck, but for disability insurance, that is actually really, really crucial to get. And I would get it through an independent agent, not one that comes and speaks at the residency or or med schools or wherever else they're kind of catching all of you guys. But I would definitely make sure you reach out to an independent agent and get the appropriate coverage that will last you not only while you're resident, but allow you to expand the policy and keep coverage when you become an attending. Casey, I think we see this a lot and I know I harp on this quite a bit on the show is just estate documents and it's not like mission critical until you have kids because really it's then becomes for them. But I still think a will and a health care directive, power of attorney, like those are still really useful items. It's hard to afford that on a resident salary though. So maybe if you're lucky, Regina's residency has some sort of benefit that you can pay 15 or 20 bucks a month for a estate attorney. That's part of those employer benefits. But if not, then you definitely don't need a trust at this point. But I would still be kind of telling you, hey, you should probably get some of the stuff in place.
2: I agree. Obviously, if they had kids, I'd be waving that flag more aggressively. But without kids, still critical, but not definitely as high on the list of things.
0: And while I guess we're sitting here kind of harping on insurance, we should probably talk about the car insurance. It seems to me that you're paying quite a bit for car coverage. You told us that it was about $260 a month. That is quite a bit. And I think I've said the story a couple times where we moved and I repriced out Geico, not to sound like the 15% or more I'll save you, but I saved like 55%, something crazy. So I would definitely price it out. Unfortunately, the insurance companies do not value loyalty, neither do the banks, to be honest. So I would get that priced out pretty quickly. It could save you maybe half that.
2: Yeah, probably whenever they took out the policies, they were younger and had higher rates at that point. So it's always good to, as you have a good driving record behind you and get a little bit older, shop that out. Make sure there's not some savings that you're leaving on the table for those things
0: yeah your car payments, and I know Regina's pretending that the debt is not real debt because you're looking to sell it, but I hate to tell you like that counts as real debt, but you know you have eleven hundred dollars a month in car payments. that is quite a bit for your income level. I think if Regina was out as an attending and, and making probably two fifty to three hundred like an OB would, then that's a more tolerable range if you will, for a car payment, but that just seems quite high, and I guess while we're still on some of the expenses. We looked at your cash flow and I'm a little confused about how you told us. So we looked at it and it's like, okay, if you make about 176,000 as a household, it's about $115,000 take home pay, give or take, which is about $9,500 a month. And if I back out kind of everything you've told us, we're still missing about $2,000 from either expenses or savings. My guess is that it's expenses and that you might have forgot a few things when you were filling this out, which is totally fine. But based on your salary, we would like to see somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to 25% of that take-home be saved for either emergency funds or... IRA contributions, which we'll get into. And based on $9,500 a month, that'd be $1,900 to $2,300 a month. So you're saving six to 800. So at that salary level, I think you need to be kind of upping that savings rate. And I'm just not sure where some of that extra cash is going.
2: Yeah. And not to keep coming back to the car, but I think the other thing to note there is, you know, you're selling a car. What is it getting replaced with, right? So if we are not counting that as debt, we need to make sure that the future purchase or how you're going to get around is going to ultimately be less than what we have outlined here.
0: Yeah. And looking at how much you guys are paying in student debt, which is not that much just yet. It's about 600 or so dollars a month between the two of you. It kind of signals to me that you probably just started that PA job. Because Regina's payments are still super low, having over 300000 of debt, you're not even servicing the interest on that at $500 a month. So plan for that to kind of be a shocker, if you will, to your cash flow. Because once you recertify for PSLF, they're going to ask to see the, the tax returns. They're going to show your boosted income. It might not hit right away. It might be next year's taxes, but just be prepared that They're gonna calculate it on both of you and then her student debt payments are going to increase. Casey, we were kind of chatting offline here on some of their investment stuff. Why don't you dig into what they have going on here?
2: Yes, I think the first thing that we noticed, and you know, we see this all the time, it's something that people are trying to patch together their allocation as they start to contribute into their retirement funds. And in this instance, they're using two different target dates, which ultimately doesn't provide any more diversity. So really just choosing one target date fund will give you all of the diversity needed inside of that account. And really what you're trying to do is make sure that the Fund You're choosing is in line with the risk that tolerance that you're trying to achieve. And so we haven't looked at what their risk tolerance questionnaires look like. So, you know, not exactly sure, but it looks like the fund is pretty aggressive. It's about 100% in stocks, which generally most people don't need to be taking on that much risk. So would want to understand their specific risk tolerance and then just choose one target date fund that's going to give them the diversity that they need with that. Yeah, there's looks no... Like, you
0: know, there's there's no reason to be in two target date funds. And I would look at, because AmeriFunds aren't always maybe the best funds, so I would definitely look at all the investment options and just make sure that the expense ratio that you're paying isn't kind of an absurd 1% plus an expense ratio for some target date fund. You might actually be better off buying something else that's in that retirement plan and kind of speaking on retirement plans, you told us that you're contributing $5,500 into the Roth and pre-tax contribution of three and a half percent, totaling about 10.3% total per paycheck. And I feel like we might be mixing two terms. We might be mixing a 401k and an IRA because a IRA you're allowed for last year, 2018, to put in $5,500 a year. It sounds like you're putting this in through your work plan, which had a contribution limit of 18500 and separate of work could have been at Vanguard, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, anywhere like not related to work. You could have opened an IRA account and contributed that $5,500 in directly to your Roth. And it's likely because you just started the job and you wouldn't be subject to those limits. So I would definitely want to make sure that you are using the correct terminology And that you probably have a lot more room in your retirement accounts to keep contributing. And that's where I'd like to see a lot of that savings go to actually fund your IRAs and your 401ks. And Regina's got a 401k and it's a Roth 401k. Granted, there's not much in it yet, but because she's going for PSLF, you guys want to be lowering your income as much as possible to keep those payments like super low it won't service the debt level. It won't even cover the interest. And so your balance will continue to grow until forgiveness happens. But I wouldn't be contributing to a Roth 401k at this point because of the student debt. Casey, do you have anything to to really add here?
2: Yeah. So she outlined, you know, that she's contributing up to what gets matched. So I don't want to not credit her for that. I think that mindset or that you know, sort of concept is absolutely what we would recommend. So the contributions themselves, keep those going, just flip it from that Roth over to the traditional so that you get the tax savings and the benefit of a reduced loan payment. If you're going for PSLF, that will benefit you substantially. So kudos to getting the match, but just flip around where you're actually putting the money.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Like, There's normal planning and then there's PSLF planning. And PSLF planning, we really need to lower your income as much as we possibly can maxing out those tax-advantaged accounts because it has that domino effect of, well, if I didn't do this, my payments, let's say maybe are a thousand bucks. But if I did this, maybe it lowers my income and payments are, I don't know, 800 bucks. That extra savings really adds up over the length of the term of the loan because you've got to have 120 qualified payments. So You want to make sure that you're not paying more into the student debt than you absolutely need to. I think the last little piece here, Casey, that I kind of want to jump into is the banking structure. And I'm a fan of having everything at one bank if possible. I wish I could have all of our business stuff at my same bank. We have business for Physician Wealth Services at Chase because Ally doesn't have business banking. But if it was up to me and Ally did have it, I would have everything in Ally just to make this really simple but it looks like you have a joint checking and some savings accounts and the savings accounts are at a different institution. And that's likely because it's a high yield savings account and your credit union won't have that. But I'm a huge fan of simplicity in banking. And so I would say you have one joint checking and I'd have multiple savings accounts, one for whether it's travel or a new car or definitely an emergency fund. But I would start breaking out all your savings goals with each individual account and labeling them. But I wouldn't have it at different banks if that was possible.
2: Yeah, I think that as we've seen with clients, you know, as you try to shift things around from different banks, it really becomes just a mental accounting game. We can't keep track of where things are. We can't understand what our true expenses are. And money just keeps getting shifted from one pocket to another. So we can streamline that a lot better by keeping everything at the same institution, automating as much as possible, and then seeing whether or not balances are increasing or decreasing over time, which will tell us if we're hitting our goals or not.
0: Mm -hmm. And as I kind of do our like final look over on your guys's stuff here, you definitely need umbrella coverage. Make sure you have adequate car insurance. They're going to force you just to get umbrella to have good in car insurance. But that's something where most people decide to go cheap. You know, it's fine searching for the best deal. You guys are paying a lot of money. So I'm hoping that you have really good coverage. But I think you can lower the amount that you're paying while probably increasing coverage. And I would definitely go and get an umbrella policy as well. Casey, is there anything you'd like to add to our friends, Ken and Regina?
2: Yeah, I think they've done a good job overall at not getting themselves into consumer credit card debt, and they really need to now just focus on their savings aspect and really getting some automation set up so that they can put that into place for the long term.
0: Yeah, and as Regina sells her car that apparently refuses to count as debt, you're going to have to take more debt likely to get the next car. Just make sure it's not too expensive. No Teslas yet. Thanks, guys, for calling in and doing this. If you would like a financial health assessment done on air, Casey and I are more than happy to do this. I cannot believe still how many people called in and gave all their information. Obviously, it's anonymous. Of course, these two individuals are not named Ken and Regina, which is from friends. Casey reminded me. I loved that, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, it's super fun. But if you would like a financial health assessment done on air, we are happy to do them in this short Friday show. And you can go to financialresidency.com slash form, F-O-R-M. That's financialresidency.com slash form and fill out all the info follow all the instructions, make sure to leave us a voicemail because we're prioritizing all the ones that leave us voicemails. And we'd love to do one on air. We've got quite a few to get through, but if you'd like to jump in on the list, we're just doing them in queue of who actually submits it first. We'd love to do one for you. Have a great week. Until next time. Cheers. Hey everyone, listen up real quick. Hope you enjoyed the show and thank you so much for being here. As your host of the Financial Residency Podcast, I'm not an attorney, a psychic, nor do I play one on TV. I'm glad you came here to learn and get excited about your finances. There's no purchase necessary to win, but you do need to know that your money decisions should be talked through with someone knowledgeable about your situation. And that person isn't me, unless you're already a client, then that's a totally different story. So consult an attorney, CPA, or heck, reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, to help you get on your feet the right way.